Good morning, Grace Place family. We've had some uh, talk, a little bit of talk about uh, the the song where the section was that uh, he's, he was, there was a fourth man in the fire. And uh, so I, I didn't know everybody uh, doesn't have um, maybe an understanding of what that story was about. It's an Old Testament story about uh, two men and a billy goat. Uh, is that <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat? Uh, oh, no, a bendigo. That was his name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there were three of these guys who were uh, worshiping God, who loved God, who put him first. And uh, they got into trouble for that with the king because there had been a great idol erected and everyone was supposed to worship the king's idol and worship him. Uh, this was, it, it isn't far from today either. You know, we would like to think that, uh, boy, that, you know, we have learned a lot as a society. We don't worship celebrity, do we? Um, but they were being taught to worship celebrity, and the king was a celebrity, and he had a great idol there, and they were to worship him. And they said if uh, there was punishment, if you did not, did not bow down to that uh, idol and worship that idol of the king, that you would be thrown into what uh, the Bible calls a fiery furnace. And um, so there was some kind of a furnace stoked with fire, and these men were cast into it. And it says in the story that the guys who threw him in were burned up. Uh, the actual captives and guards, because the flames were so hot. But after a season of time, the king comes to kind of look over and into this pit or whatever it was where the fire was taking place from a distance, the raging fire, and uh, sees not the three, just the three men that he'd put in the fire, but he sees a fourth one put in the fire. And he says, the fourth one looks as if he might be the son of God. There is a uh, fourth man in the fire, and that's what that song was talking about. You know, when we go through fiery trials, difficulties, then, you know, that fourth man in the fire is always with us. That uh, he's, he's there. He's there to divide the seas, as, as what happened in the time of uh, Moses, when the children of Israel crossed over on dry land. And uh, so that's what that song was about. Wanted to touch on that. We are launching a series today. Punch your neighbor and say, I'm so excited. This is just brand new stuff. And uh, we are launching into a new series uh, on the book of Acts called People of the Spirit. Now, we're not going to get a chance to do complete justice to the book of Acts. We're going to tackle some important stories here that relate and help us understand what it means to be people of the Spirit. And so I want you to track along with us, book of Acts. We're going to start uh, verse one, uh, our chapter one, verse eight. And then we're going to look, be looking mostly today in chapter two, the outpouring of the day of Pentecost. So I want you to find your place there. Follow along with us. Please take some notes because what we're talking about is of the utmost importance, but also I think seasonally for us as a congregation, as a church, this is very, very important what God wants to happen through us. And that's why we have elevated these Wednesday night prayer meetings. We want to be postured and ready to receive from God all the things that he has in store for us. Wednesday was fantastic. Thank all of you who came in. There were people who came in in rotations. Really a very good turnout uh, because we had the building open from 7 to 8. We're not saying come here and stay from 7 to 8. We're just saying come here and pray. Uh, or 6, I'm sorry, 6 to, uh, six to 8. Okay, good, 6 to 8. Okay. Uh, just come and uh, spend a little time here as much as you can or want to. And, and uh, some people, I think, had intentions to be here about 10 or 15 minutes, wound up staying a whole hour. 
because uh, God was really doing that. Now, I have to apologize up front because if you ever get lost and I'm your guide, okay, so if we're going east or west, we're going to be fine. But if it's north and south, <laughs> uh, I struggle. So you might not want to follow me if your compass breaks and we're going north or south, okay? Uh, I was uh, leading us in, in Isaiah 43 is kind of the, the chapter that we're using for this prayer season on Wednesday nights. And there's a section in there that talks about, you know, praying to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And, and so we, we did it as a congregation. We're like, you know, we, we turned this way, which everybody knows is east. Good job. And I did that one fine. And then we turned this direction, which everybody knows is and I said north. And I prayed a good long prayer for the north. And so <laughs> there were people who drove backwards out of the parking lot, had no idea where they were. Uh, then, then we prayed uh, to the west, and then we, we prayed uh, to the other north. So <laughs> in my great uh, compass, there are two norths, and so you cannot, uh, you cannot go wrong. Um, so don't follow me if we get lost. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 8, all right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you'd move over to chapter 2, let's look at verse 1 in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were what seemed, uh, there were what, or they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the, other, and the parts of uh, Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Operative question for this series is, have you been filled with the Spirit? Have you been filled with the Spirit? What is the promise of the Holy Spirit and what does it mean for your life? That's what we want to touch on 
in this series. And as I said, I don't know that we can do complete justice to this subject matter. We are uh, rarely, as a church, uh, as a Christian church, as focused on the person and work of the Holy Spirit as I think is necessary and important for us. And that's what we're going to try to do through this series, is get focused on the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and try to better understand what he is and means to us, who he is, and what God does through the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. I want to share with you first, and I talked at the beginning of the year about sharing a little bit of the story behind this story, and leading up to this, of course, uh, way back before, uh, you know, this series, um, you know, when we first uncovered that we wanted to go this direction, prayed through this, and decided that this was the season for it. There were two warnings that God kind of spoke into my heart for me personally and for all of us. And I think really this is something for the greater Christian community. And uh, this series represents a process of time in my life where God was both teaching me and exhorting me to help me better understand and to help us better understand how to be people that are led by the Spirit of God. And the first warning is this. The first warning that I felt that God said is he's just, just kind of, you know, redressed me in this manner. I will not be muted. I will not be muted. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. He's speaking to me personally, speaking to all of us in so many ways through the Bible through sermons, through prayer, through life events, through godly counsel that he's placed around our lives through that still small voice. And God says, no matter what you do, I will not be muted. For those of us who are from my era, it's, it's the record that's skipping and keeps repeating the same phrase, okay? For those of you who are younger and uh, don't understand what a record is and what that age may have meant, for you, it is that repetitive text that keeps blinking you know, a thousand times. Why do they keep telling me they'll be there in 10 minutes? Their phone must be broken. It is that repetitive thing that just keeps coming. And it's God saying to all of us, I'm not going to be muted. That's right. yes. You're going to hear the whole counsel of God. I was taught when we were growing up, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I'm thankful for my heritage, but one of the things we were taught about the Word of God was that when we came to the Word of God and we opened it up, that we were inviting God to speak to us and we were to hear, the first two words we were to hear was from God saying, as soon as I opened the book, let's talk. Let's talk about you. <laughs> let's talk about what's going on. Let's talk about me and who I am and how I can reveal myself through you and how I can work in your current circumstances and how I have, uh, what my mission is, what my plan is, what my purpose is for mankind. Every time I opened the book, it was a conversation with God. Let's talk. I have something to say to you. It wasn't just an intellectual understanding. It wasn't just digging down deep and, and trying to find out uh, the history of what had happened. Those things are, are vital. They're important to determine what it meant to the original hearers. These words, else we go about taking these things out of context. And there are so many things that we could point to where there are, uh, you know, uh, 
messages being preached, where there are movements that are operating outside of the counsel of God's word because they are taking various passages and trying to prove something. Here's the danger of coming to the Bible looking for something. You may find it. And in the process, miss this. Let's talk. Because you're looking for proof text for what you want to believe or what you want to think. And we were taught early on that every time we open this book, let's talk. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and the first warning I understood going way back to when I was very young. I am not going to be muted. I don't care what other people are saying. I don't care what's going on in, in, in society around you and in culture. I will not be shut down. I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm going to say it through your word. When you open your Bible, we're going to talk. When, when, when you go out into community and your people are, you're surrounded by people, you're going to see things I want you to see. You're going to see examples of what I want you to see. When, when you're uh, sitting uh, alone by yourself, someone's going to come and sit down beside you and start pouring out the counsel of God in your life. I'm going to speak to you. I will not be muted. Yeah. And the second warning that I felt is something that we've just touched on right here, and that is, the danger of practicing biblical devotion or biblical preaching and teaching whose end and desire is all about historical facts and trying to discover the historical meaning or truths of Jesus. And that becomes the end all is that's it. And it makes this book lifeless. It turns it into the letter of the law, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a part where we're, we're, we're just picking it up like we would go into a library to look at ancient artifacts and try to, to, to become a scholar or someone about a particular uh, avenue of, of study, maybe Egyptology or whatever, and we're looking back at hieroglyphics and we're trying to pound through what they said and what it meant. And, and you know, we, we, we are interested in, you know, the people who of that day and how they lived and what they ate and what they ate out of and, and uh, how they had businesses and all those kinds of things. And those are, are good. They're important. They're okay. That's all right for us to do that. But if that's all this book is for you, it's not alive. It's not what God intends for it to be for you. In other words, this book is not just a history book. It's alive and it's relevant to today, to the moment in which you're living. And when you open it up, God's saying, let's talk. He wants to speak fresh words into your life. To treat it otherwise is to ignore the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing these pages to life. And that's a big part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring these things off the page for transformational work. It isn't truth that we learn intellectually that brings change into our lives. We'd all like to think that, wouldn't we? You know, I understand that I need to exercise more than I eat, right? That's a truth that's very, I really do understand that. Okay? I am not putting it into practice, right? And a lot of us understand truths that come out of this book, but we are not putting them into practice. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to exhort those things inside of us that we, we, they are tearing at the fabric of who we are as we begin to read them and we say, God, I will not go away unchanged. Yes. I am going to let your word transform me and change me. Yes. I want to be who you call me to be. Jesus set the example for us 
of what it is to be people of the Spirit. And from the beginning, God has called us to be people led of the Spirit. And, and we, we read earlier um, the passage of what happened to the church and the birth of the church. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was setting the example there. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Several weeks ago, we talked about that experience in the wilderness. Jesus couldn't go until what happened in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. You and I don't need to be dragged off to the wilderness of temptation, not filled with the Spirit of God, not empowered to overcome the work that the enemy is going to plot out in, the, in that desert area, those temptations that are going to come. It is the Holy Spirit that inspired the biblical text and prompted the human writer. He moved upon them. And it is the Holy Spirit that brings them alive for us and helps us to understand what they mean to us once we have done our proper work in terms of exegeting Scripture and, and good practices and hermeneutics of trying to understand what this may have meant to original hearers. Then we can sit and say, God, speak to me today. What does it mean to the church in this century now? What does it mean to my life as an individual? It is the Holy Spirit that speaks through scriptures today. Takes these ancient scripts and brings power to them and life to them. I was quoting a, a, that passage a moment ago out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you want to write it down. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Yeah. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with, with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Yeah. That passage, verse 7, is talking about how Moses, uh, directed by God to go up to the mountain and hammer out the Ten Commandments in stone, and then to bring them down. And when he would come down from the mountain, his face shone because he had been with God in such a way that, that it scared the people. And they asked that he would cover his face. The glory of God was shining through him, and it was penetrating dark places in their hearts and lives. It's what happens to, to people who are, are filled with the Spirit. You can go into dark places, and people will ask you to leave. Because the shining of the glory of God is so radiant and so powerful that they would ask you to leave. And he says, is it, will it not be so much more when the Spirit is even more glorious when you're filled and walking as people of the Spirit. Yeah. We open the passage, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. People of the Spirit, some, some things that they have um, that, that help our identifiers for people filled with the Spirit. People of the Spirit are mission-minded. They're mission-minded. From the very beginning, that's what it was all about. You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. If you want to identify people of the Spirit, look for people who Jesus' mission is most important. 
We were talking this morning, Michelle reposted uh, a Beth Moore uh, little excerpt where she was talking about her daughter uh, had gotten to a place. She was, she was very successful, a good athlete in high school, was being recruited, and she had, she had gotten to a place where she um, was, was prideful, and she had kind of been drifting from the Lord, and her attitude had changed and turned, and, and her mom and dad were frustrated, trying to do things to, to bring her back. Their high priority was her relationship with Jesus Christ, and so Beth is crying out in her prayer room one day, just saying, God, I don't know what to do with this girl. She, even, she said, today is a state championship. If you have to, to make her um, completely a failure today in this game, if you have to like destroy her ability to be an athlete, it's more important to me that she has you at the center and the heart of her life. And she said she wrote it down in her journal and prayed that way. And she said they went to the game later that day, and she said her daughter couldn't hit uh, you know, couldn't have hit a ball if it was the size of a building. It was like she was just, you know, all over the court and missing everything. And finally, the coach called her off the, the, the court because she was being, you know, harmful to the team. She was a team leader, but now being harmful to the team and benched her. She comes out of the game going, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And she said her mom the next day said, I'd like you to read this little passage out of my journal. Some parents trying to live vicariously through their children in various areas. Listen, we raised our kids this way too. The most important thing was where are you with God? I was raised that way. My mom, when we would, would come back you know, uh, to, from church, she would, she would be inquiring where we are with the Lord. And, and often she would gauge you know, where we are by how we were answering altar calls at the end of service. She says, you haven't been going forward in the last couple of months. What's going on in your life? Your attitude's not right. You need to get right with Jesus. And there was a constant challenge in our hearts and lives to get back to where we needed to be with Jesus because that was most important. That was a priority of our family. It didn't matter whether I became great as an athlete or, or, or great as an intellectual or, or great as, as a, you know, a carpenter or anything else on the planet that you can think of that someone could do. What was important for them was that we became men and women of God. That we loved God with all of our heart. We had a passion for Him. And we, we had a drive and a desire to go after Him and after His heart. And we have raised our kids that way too. We told them, don't you come to our house telling us you have a job that works you on Sundays. Because you ain't going. <laughs> we were never asked. We have three grown kids. And uh, my youngest will graduate coming up on the, uh, the 11th from uh, Biola with his master's in philosophy. We, he can tell you, all of them can tell you, we were never asked once in our lives, do we have to go to church today? Never. Never. It was, it was kind of a celebration thing for us as a family, like David. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. They were excited about getting together with God's family, excited about worshiping God and living for God. But it wasn't just the acts of going to church. It was, uh, it was, in, it was in, woven into our family was the living for him and in everything that we did. He was the first one we called on when there was crisis in our family, when there's difficulties and challenges. He was the first one we called on when, when, when the things were going great and everything was going smoothly. He was the first one we praised and thanked and gave glory and credit to. We called out in our family character issues. 
You can look beautiful, but what we love the most about you is that you love people around you and you genuinely are willing to sacrifice to show them you love them and care for them. You know, you really did good in that sport or in that musical or, or in that uh, play. That was awesome. But what we love the most is that you told everybody the truth when they ask you. You stood up when you were the one that was guilty and said, I am the one that needs to be disciplined, not them. That's what we love the most about you is your character that God is molding and shaping in you and fashioning in you. People of the Spirit are mission-minded. They care about what God cares about. And if you're mission-minded, the Holy Spirit will empower us to be effective. He says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place, and suddenly a sound of the blowing of the violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were setting. And they saw in, uh, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave evidence. For people of the Spirit... The Gospels of the, of the book of Acts, uh, these, this church, this early church, the Gospels were not a collection of the history of Jesus for the first century church. They, they, believed, they believed that what was happening for them was about the ongoing mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus died, he was resurrected, he ascended up to heaven. That doesn't mean the end of things. That means the beginning of things. He sent his Holy Spirit for us to carry this message forward. We're living in the eschatological age. We're living in the end times. And it is up to the church to make a difference in, in the world. It's up to the church to make a difference in our neighborhoods. It's up to the church to make a difference in our communities, in our schools. It's up to us to, to stand up for Jesus and to make a difference. And Peter in his sermon on the day of Pentecost helps bring scriptural understanding to, to uh, what, we, what we just talked about and what we just read. He said on Acts 2, verse 32 and 33, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from uh, the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured it out. And now you see it and hear it. <laughs> what God is doing. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the life of the believer, just as Jesus had promised the disciples that it would happen. I won't go back through and read that entire passage with all the, uh, the various languages and nations, but to say that all of them came together and what was going on uh, in this church, what was the essence or the carry away message? They were telling about the glorious things of God in their language that they could understand. These are people who didn't speak those languages. They didn't speak the, uh, the languages of the people of Mesopotamia or the Parthians or the Medes or Elamites or Cappadocians. And, and, and uh, they were suddenly enabled by the Spirit of God to speak in their language. And what were they speaking? To showing off and telling everybody how great they are and how you know, now they're empowered to do. They were sharing with them the wonders and the glories of God. Yes. How awesome is He? Yes. Every one of them were hearing in their own language 
a testimony of the goodness of God, a little personal sermon that was coming in their languages. And it's interesting, you know, it always says that, you know, that, or we always get a picture of God doing throughout Scripture things in perfect timing. It says in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. And, and here we are on the day of Pentecost, and it's the day when, when the nations of the world have come together in, in one little arena. And God says, this is a good day for me to, to spill out my spirit and for them to hear the wonders and the glories of God. And that's exactly what happened. People of the Spirit, though, are also largely misunderstood. And often within the own, their own Christian community, they're largely misunderstood. But the, the uh, wording here in the text says, amazed and perplexed, the people who were watching this and from the outside. They ask one another, what does this mean? And I just thought, can I share with you some pearls of wisdom from uh, Kermit the Frog? Would that be all right? <laughs> And this is for all people of the Spirit. It ain't easy being green. <laughs> when you invite the infilling of the Holy Spirit and you say, I want His purposes to be my purpose. I want to be passionate about Jesus. I want to be on target because this world is going to fade away and all the things in it are going to fade away. I believe God will give me the desires of my heart and the things that I'm not going to have to sacrifice things that, that God has placed in my heart that are there to, you know, whatever it might be for you to to be married, to have a family, to, um, you know, to be involved or engaged in a particular career that you like or have a passion about. God gave you those things in the first place. He's not saying, you know, throw those on the altar, we'll burn them up. And, you know, now you're just going to be a robot for me. God gave you those desires and he gave you those. But he's saying, here's the way it's fulfilled through me. You're going to learn proper perspective of this. Let me fill you up so that you can see that these are seasonal things and they will pass away. But what I am doing in your heart and life and in the community around you is eternal. Yeah. And it will go on and on and on. But people of the Spirit understand it ain't easy being green. People of the Spirit expect the supernatural to take place. I was with my dad when I was, couldn't have been more than, you know, eight, uh, seven or eight probably. And uh, he had gotten a call and there's no cell phones back then. So they literally called uh, to the house, the parsonage where we were at. My dad was a pastor, a family of eight. Uh, and uh, one of their kids had been out. They lived way outside of Wilcox, Arizona, riding around uh, on a horse. And the horse had knocked them off. They had fallen into the fence and fell down. And this child of about four years old just lay there uh, dead. And the first person this family called was my dad, the pastor. Uh, didn't call the police, didn't call the ambulance. And my dad was giving, believe me, giving a lot of thought to that as he's driving <laughs> with me in the car as uh, fast as he can down to this location. And as he gets out of the car and sees this lifeless body of this little girl, and I, I was there as a firsthand witness, I, I saw it, and I can't tell you, I'm not a medical expert, I can't tell you, but from all appearances, this girl was dead. The life uh, of her body was gone. She was pale. Um, there was no movement. There was no breath. Uh, there was nothing going on. And my dad said, uh, you know, he said, I was sitting there later when we talked about it. He said, I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to jail. <laughs> you know, these people called the pastor and they didn't call the, the ambulance. And here I am. They want me to pray and ask God to bring life back into her. But when I'm finished here, if God doesn't do something, 
if God doesn't do something here, we got to call uh, the ambulance. We got to call the hospital, and then we, we, we need to explain what happened. And, and, and he said in that moment, God filled his heart with faith, filled his life with faith, and he began to pray a, pray a prayer of faith over this young lady. And what I witnessed from uh, as a young boy standing on the outside was the, the coughing and the spewing of this young girl, wiping her face and her eyes opening up and seeing her mom and crying. People of the Spirit, they expect God's going to do the supernatural. When they pray for somebody, they pray expecting that God will heal them. And if he, and if he doesn't, uh, heal them in the way that we think he, they know that they're going to be healed in eternity. Yeah. They pray with expectation. They understand the supernatural is not supernatural to God. It's just supernatural to us. Yeah. Yeah. People of the Spirit, when they worship, they expect to experience the presence of God. They expect when they come together to worship that they're going to sense and feel the very presence of God, the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit on their life. When they sing these songs, they sing them not as rote or as ceremonial things that we were, but they get engaged in the worship because they believe that God has invited them into his presence and he's received their worship and that he is responding to that in love and, and, and they're experiencing God, not just singing about him and talking about him. People of the Spirit, when they fall short in their natural gifts, they expect the Holy Spirit is going to supply the shortfall. Wherever I run out, God will pick it up and take over. People of the Spirit expect to encounter a God of the Bible today. When they open scriptures, they expect God to say, let's talk. They expect to participate in leading people in, in, uh, to Jesus Christ on a regular basis. They expect to be involved in mission, to seek and to save that which is lost. It's as natural as breathing. They're not walking around going, who am I going to witness to today? Did I pick up my four spiritual laws? They are living in such a way that they expect that their encounters with people are going to cause them to ask about Jesus and that they're going to have opportunities to reach people for Jesus Christ. There are no surprises among people of the Spirit when people come to know Jesus Christ. They expect that it's going to happen. People of the Spirit expect uh, to see miracles happen in their life and the lives of people around them as they pray for them. When you get a Facebook post, you're a person of the Spirit about someone saying, pray for me, I'm going through cancer or something else is happening. We start praying, uh, the people of the Spirit start praying with expectation. Believing God can do a miracle and God will do a miracle. And so though we're so grateful and thankful and, and in awe of all the things that God does, it doesn't surprise us that God does miracles. We expect Him to. Amen. People of the Spirit expect to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith, as I was talking about with my dad and that experience, to believe for things that seem impossible. People of the Spirit expect the Holy Spirit will use them. They want to be available. There's a humble posture with them as the Holy Spirit is kind of lightly moving over the congregation to say, I'm standing here in humility and in a humble posture. God, if you can use me today in any gift of the Spirit, I'm available to you and I want to be used by you. In Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are those that um, 
believe, and I, I want to share this story with you, a friend of mine that we would go golfing together, and there was another pastor who joined us, and he was a um, good, good pastor, but he was, he, was a, uh, he was a part of a group known as, as cessationists. They believed that the gifts of the Spirit and, and um, the things that were talked about here in the book of Acts all ended with the apostles, and that was, that was the end of it in the first century church, and after that, none of that stuff is to happen today. And so you'd often hear my friend talking about, you know, being filled with the Spirit and those kinds of things. And, and, and he, you know, we had, we had nice exchanges and he would always go home and study a little harder and try to bring another point, you know, when he came together with us to play golf. And uh, usually, you know, those were intermittent things that would happen over 18 holes of golf, you know, maybe that amounted to 10, 15 minutes of the day. One day we're together, we're golfing and, and, uh, Nothing had been said. We're at hole 18, and I'm thinking, wow, we may get through this day without having disagreement about you know, whether the Holy Spirit continues to do things in our day or it's all over, you know. And uh, just before we got ready to go up, the first person got ready to go up, he just turned to my friend and he said, why is it that you're constantly talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time? And my friend paused and he turned to him and he said, because I leak. <laughs> this passage out of 239, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off and as many as the Lord shall call. It's a promise that goes on and on and on. Disciples following Jesus um, before Pentecost, before the outpouring of Pentecost, I'm closing if the worship team wants to come and prepare. The disciples were a, a different band of people, weren't they? They were fearful. Uh, when, when Jesus was taken the cross, you know, when he's captured in the garden, they, they all took off and went seven different directions. They're hiding. Um, they're fearful. They're afraid. Uh, Jesus even sent them out to do ministry, and it was, it was kind of mixed bag at times, you know. I remember one time they came back, and, and uh, they thought they had a revelation, you know. They had, and they were really telling Jesus, like, you know, hey, you know, you sent us out, and we are the mighty ones of God because you sent us out. And we ran into some people who were also doing what we're doing, and we forbid them. We told them, don't do that. Don't lead people to Christ. You know, you're not one of us, you know. Don't pray for people that are sick to get healed. Don't do those things because, and they, they thought this was a real revelation and they were helping Jesus out. Jesus is like, they're with us. <laughs> you don't have to be in this number to be doing the things that I've asked them to do. And so it was a real mixed bag with these guys. They were bumbling around. I think, uh, you know, uh, Luke does a, a pretty good picture of, of painting and Mark as well. Uh, some of these things that, that were going on with the disciples, they just didn't look really good. They're, we wouldn't write, written any biographies about any of these guys prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But after, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, these guys are singing in the jail. And they get loose and they go back on the street after they've been beaten and forbidden to tell the gospel. And they're preaching the gospel. They're telling about Jesus. They're proclaiming him. They're being persecuted. They're being, their lives are being ended one by one. And they are standing strong 
for Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about how that the church even was turned the, the known world at that point upside down. They were people of purpose and people of mission and people of the spirit who no longer had a fear of what man can do to their body. For they had the presence and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit working through them. And they could say, as Paul says, look, guys, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You think that makes me fearful? <laughs> I'm ready to go meet him. End my life. Make my day. Right? But as long as I'm here to live as Christ, and that's what life is about, and that's exactly what I'm going to do because I'm a person of the Spirit. I'm going to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and be directed by God on a day-by-day -day basis. I want to ask you to stand with me, and as they sing, if God is tugging at your heart about being filled up with the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, being people of the Spirit, no longer just living a life that says, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, I just have my ticket punched, and, you know, all that's important is that I just make certain meetings and you know, I go ahead and, and stay in a posture of like, you know, God, forgive me and help me. And, you know, that's, that's been maybe the way that I've been living. But you're saying today, man, I want to be a person of the Spirit. Yes. Then I, I want to I agree with you and I want to pray with you this morning. I want to ask you to come. Just stand across the front here and we're going to pray with you yes. as we sing. All right.